This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm going to skip the rest of the usual intro because this is not a usual episode. This is sort of a mini episode. Free, a bonus episode. You're welcome. This is a brief conversation I had with Jane Mayer, the great New Yorker writer who just put out a great story about the Trump administration and Fox News and how they're basically the same thing. I'm sure you have read that story by now. If not, you should go read that story and then listen to this. Uh, This is me and Jane talking on the phone. You can listen to it right now. I'm speaking with The New Yorker's most excellent investigative reporter, Jane Mayer. Hi, Jane. Hi, great to be with you. As everyone listening to this knows by now, you published an amazing story about Fox News and the Trump administration and their very, very tight connections. You've done amazing reporting in the past about the CIA, the Supreme Court, the Kochs, other powerful institutions. What is going up against Fox and the Trump administration like in comparison to those other reporting subjects for you? Well, um, I mean, it, it just took a lot of time, really, because it's hard to sort of burrow your way in and really get the story. Um, that, that's mostly the problem. It's not that they're so fearsome or intimidating. It's more that it's just hard to get in the door. They don't like, as I think you know, the mainstream media much. In the old days, in the Roger Ailes days, Fox was famously combative and would go after reporters and, and, and leak embarrassing things about them. Um, maybe that was a little different uh, since you're reporting about it post-Ailes. Well, I mean, they may still, I think what they, they were infamous for also was going after people after things were in print. Mm-hmm. They had something called the um, the Black Ops Room on the 14th floor of the um, Fox headquarters in New York. And it was famous for going after Roger Ailes's enemies by planting things in print about them, um, you know, sparing their reputations. I interviewed some a couple of people who'd worked in that kind of part of Fox, and they said um, that they put... Um, I'll, I'll put a nice use a nice word and said they put they put junk on a loop and just kept hitting the person over and over and over again in print. Um, for so future reference, you can they, curse all you want on this podcast, but but uh, oh, so okay. there's no well, shit on a loop for you. What word it was, yeah. but anyway, they just they they really went after people's reputations in a nasty way. And I'm sure you know. I mean, I felt I think when we were working on this that if I slipped up um, in any you know serious way, they would certainly tear down my reputation too. So you know, it took time also to just make sure that um, that we uh, crossed the T's and dotted the I's and got it right. Yeah, well, why don't I ask you about that? And I'm here I'm lifting directly from uh, another media reporter, Brian Curtis, who I heard was speculating about this. Um, a lot of what you did here was put, put some stuff that we knew in context, and then there's great new stuff that you unearthed. Um, as you're unearthing new stuff like this incident about Gary Cohn and John Kelly and Trump, and I want to ask you about that, was there an impulse to say, oh, I've uncovered something, it's new, it's a hyper-competitive news environment, let's get that out now, and then later we'll do the longer, more comprehensive piece. 
Yeah, but we know, I mean, I, you know, I've come out of the newspaper world originally um, and have been at the New Yorker now for 20 years. And the difference is at the New Yorker, you don't rush stuff into print like that Mm -hmm. um, unless you absolutely have to for competitive reasons. But the beauty of the place is that you get to tell the whole story. So, so, I mean, it's actually, you you know, it's, if I'd been tempted to do that kind of work, I would have stayed at the Wall Street Journal or at at a newspaper. I, I love this long form. You love like, sort of luxuriating in, in, in one long thing when you can do it. Well, it's it's more than that. Yeah. It's what you can do at, in long form is the, it's the opposite of what most people do online. Um, a, a, instead of being fast, it's complete. So you can actually tell the whole history, and you can flush out the characters, and you can explain how the dots connect. I mean, everything else online is just the dots. Yeah. Um, so that's what I love about the New Yorker is you can, you, you, we can tell the whole story and try to make sense out of things. So, I mean, a lot of what I do is more, um, it's explanatory journalism as much as it's investigative journalism. Yeah, that sounds right. And then, and then there's lots of folks like me who have taken your, your explanatory journalism and broken it up into dots. And one of the things that, <laughs> that I focused well, we on. like that too. Yeah. One of the things that I focused on, other folks have focused on is this incident with Gary Cohn and John Kelly and Donald Trump telling them. I want you to file a suit. I want you to get the DOJ, Department of Justice, to file a suit to block the AT&T Time Warner deal, Um, which was revelatory because we'd sort of seen reporting that suggested that Trump wanted this to happen, but nothing that specific. Um, Your reporting doesn't say that they went ahead and did that. There's a quote from Gary Cohen saying the effect of don't you fucking dare do that. Um, But it doesn't say it didn't happen either. What, What do you think actually happened once Trump told Cohn and Kelly, or more, I guess more broadly, do you think he directly affected the Department of Justice's decision to file that suit? Well, I mean, if I knew that it is the reason that they, I mean, they did definitely go ahead and file suit right. not very long after that conversation. And and it was an unusual suit and it was overturned in the courts. So we know it was a, you know, it was a weak argument they were making, at least according to the courts. And so... Yeah, I mean, was, that, that said, the, the, the DOJ, Macon Delrahim says out loud on the record, he told Kara Swisher, who I work with, no, he, this is why I went ahead and did it. Any suggestion that is politically motivated is, is not correct. So he's saying on the record, I wasn't affected by Donald Trump. But Right. And and Trump has also said on the record, for what it's worth, um, in public, that he wasn't going to try to interfere. Instead, we actually caught him. Yeah. And what he was doing was ordering um, Gary Cohn, the head of the National Economic Council, the top economic advisor in the White House, to, he said, not only did he order him that day, he said, I told him this 50 times yeah. to get this DOJ to file that suit. Do We, we don't yet know whether it is the reason that the DOJ went forward. But I, I think it's absolutely imperative that we find out. Um, if, if it can be possibly found out, I think people ought to be put under oath and investigated for and when it. You're, when you're, because when you're report- I, mean, I just want to say, I, yeah, mean, I feel very strongly about it as a reporter, because if, in fact, this case was filed is retaliation against CNN because it had done its job really reporting on Trump, that is an absolute outrage and 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 a violation of of you know of the relationship between the press and this government it's an abuse of power so if that happened we really should know about it and and we've seen calls in 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 congress and other folks saying we should we should follow up on this when you're reporting this when you learn about this and when you're finally getting ready to publish do you expect that reaction do you say do you think wow this this in particular is really going to stir things up and i want it to 
Um, yeah, I hoped people noticed and that people cared. I mean, I thought it was important from the, the my jaw dropped when I heard it, you know, um, and, and, it, and, and I did, you know, t- took it very seriously and I hoped everybody else did too. And I, I reported it out as seriously and as I could at the moment. And I'm actually hoping to do a little bit more reporting on it, but truly I think that people should be called in to testify on this. Do you worry that reporting on, on the, a lot of your reporting in general, and then this specifically a story like this because it focuses on Fox News and Trump. And I'm assuming that just about everyone in America has made up their minds about those two institutions already might fall on deaf ears. Um, anyone who's already worked up about Fox News and Trump will say, yeah, like I said, and anyone who is an advocate will ignore it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and so I, I, I mean, this this began actually as a, a profile of Bill Shine, the former co-president mm-hmm. of Fox News, who went over to the White House to become director of communications and deputy chief of staff. And you know, so he was a new character, and I thought you know a, a good way to take a look at the relationship between Fox and the White House. But all along the way, you sort of think, oh God, everybody knows that they're close, and mm-hmm. and so what's what's new here? And you just have to keep pushing and turning over more stones and having better interviews with people and more people um, until you feel like you can tell people something maybe they don't know. And you do cite a lot of existing reporting. And like you said, a lot of it is just putting in context and saying, I'm going to stitch together all of this stuff for you so you see it all in one place. From what I could see, there have been individual stories on Rupert Murdoch's relationship with Trump and the touch also on Murdoch's relationship with Jared Kushner. And then there have been separate stories that take a look at, for instance, Hannity's relationship with President Trump. But what I tried to do was to explain the whole interrelationship between um, Fox as a, you know, powerhouse media company uh, founded and, and run by one of the sort of most storied media moguls of our time and the whole Trump administration. And what you find is their connections all the way up and down. And it's it's much more interwoven, both now and even looking back at the past history, the rise of Trump. It's a great story. I have a technical question about how you do your job. So you've got this piece out. Um, I think, again, most people listening to this will remember the reporting you've been doing. You had previously done on Brett Kavanaugh, which is not very long ago. You wrote, you and Dylan, uh, sorry, Ronan Farrow wrote about Eric Schneiderman, the former attorney general of, of New York, and promptly he left as soon as your, your story came out. Are you writing multiple stories at, at a time, or are you do deep diving on one thing? No. I'm I'm a total monomaniac. I can I can I can barely do anything when I'm focusing on these stories. It kind of takes whatever brain cells I've got left. Wow, that's Wow. Okay. I kind of thought you'd say that, but I I really don't know how you're able to produce work of that depth that quickly because you're really churning it out. And the more I talk, the more I realize that one of my editors is saying, yeah, Peter, you should should pick up your pace. (laughs) I think I'm slow, frankly. I'm sure my editors think I'm slow too. I know you're short on time because you got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, One other unrelated question. You are the foremost authority on the Koch brothers. Uh, I've turned my my mother-in-law to your book. She's now she, she says you're now her biggest hero. So congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, last year, uh, Meredith, the uh, publishing company, bought Time Inc. Uh, with money directly from the Cokes. Um, there was a lot of speculation about what the Cokes did or didn't want to do with with that asset at the time. Meredith owned Time and Sports Illustrated. They've since sold those off. They have insisted that they're only investing 
in in a publishing company. They've got no interest in, in wanting to touch the publications. You have comprehensively laid out how the, the Kochs are, are influencing American politics in large part through the media. Do you believe that they're, they're actually going to be hands-off with, with this with that publisher? You know, I wrote something at the time, and I haven't looked at it, um, the situation since, so it could be that it needs to be updated. But when I looked at it at the time, I actually was convinced that they actually went into it for financial reasons. It was a really good investment for them, and they were going to get a very good return on their money. And as much as anything else, they care about the bottom line. So this is just like them investing in soybean futures. It's It just happens to be a magazine company. Um. Almost. I, they have in the past really wanted to have a big footprint in, in media. And, right. and as I think people know, they, they took a look at the Tribune Company at one point and the LA Times. But I don't think that's what they were doing in this particular case. And actually, these days, it's no longer they. There's really only one Koch brother who's active. Um, David Koch has pretty much retired from the scene mm-hmm. for health reasons, and it's all Charles. Right. Okay, good. Oh, by the way, since we're here lauding you, we should point out the Elle magazine profile that, that in a masterstroke of, of tra- timing came out, I think, uh, last week, days in advance of this, and has an amazing anecdote about you and Jill Abramson going to retrieve your dog from your ex-boyfriend. Retrieve the retriever. Mm-hmm. Who, who was then living with Laura Ingraham, and I'm just going to leave it there, and you should go read the story yourself. Uh Jim Mayer, great to meet you. <laughs> All I can you. say is it was 30 years ago, ancient history. It's a great story. I'm, I'm glad I got the dog. So thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Um, we have a bunch of content. It'll be longer form coming um, out of Austin, Texas, South by Southwest. Conversations with Mark Cuban. There's a podcasting discussion coming out. Um, I think a special guest to be named very soon. Um, it's all coming your way. It's all free. Enjoy it. See you soon. <laughs>